Alexander is a native of, of Ireland and came to this country at uh, age 21 to go to school in California where he met his wife, Rita. Sarah and I uh, had the, the privilege of being with them in Peru this last summer. And then we went to uh, Cusco and Machu Picchu together. So it gave us an opportunity to get to know each other and to be better friends. Uh, Alexander also is a, is a uh, Stephen minister and um, works in, in uh, job networking. So this is a man who's got his hands in what's going on here. And I'm so delighted that he's here to uh, teach us for the next two weeks. Alexander, please. Uh, Ferdinand and uh, 
very much. <laughs> I knew this was going to be a bad day. I even left my Bible at home. First, this little fella had a little girl who they named Catherine. When she was three years old, she was betrothed to the daughter of Henry VII, uh, Arthur. Thank you. She was a little girl. I'm glad you guys were keeping up here. Um, 
<laughs> but being a student of the Bible, Henry began to, began to focus in and fixate on a particular passage of Scripture. And that's Leviticus 20, verse 21. If a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. They shall be childless. If you remember, there had to be a special dispensation from the Pope. This is the scripture in which that dispensation was necessary. Henry Mann began to more and more focus on that scripture. And because of this underlying perspective, that God is a cursing God, he began to believe that he was cursed because he had taken his brother's wife. And I think, to some extent or other, you know the rest of the story. Uh, from there, uh, Henry ultimately broke away from the Catholic Church, Church of England was formed, and in fact the Methodists may not exist today if it hadn't been for Henry's belief. So, <coughs> scripture is full of this concept of blessing and cursing. Uh, you're probably to some extent familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, at Mount Ebal, which is the Mount of Cursing, and Mount Gerizim, which is the, the Mount of Blessing, and God gets the tribes and he divides them between the mountains, and they do a little bit of uh, responsive uh, calling, shall we say, because it's not exactly responsive reading, uh, but responsive calling. And uh, so in Deuteronomy 27, verse 16, uh, the caller calls out, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and his mother. And all the people said, Amen. Uh, Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads the blind person on the road. And all the people said, Amen. Cursed be anyone who deprives the alien, the orphan, and the widow of justice. And all the people said, Amen. And then in Deuteronomy 28, uh, God says, If you obey me, all the... These, uh, uh, if you diligently observe all these commandments and creeds that I'm commanding you today, then all these curses shall come upon you if you do not obey them. I'm sorry. If you do not obey them, all these curses shall come upon you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. The increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. On the other hand, if, uh, just before that, Deuteronomy 28, verses 2 and following, he says, If you do obey you uh, obey me, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall be in the field. You know, the exact, the exact opposites. If you do what I say, you'll be blessed, and if you don't, you'll be cursed. And this sort of, this set of verses is very much which, what feeds people's fear and concern relative to God as a cursing God. Uh, from my perspective, what God's saying is, hey, here is a good way to live. <coughs> if you live it, blessings follow. And if you don't live it, things are not going to turn out too well for you. But that's not necessarily the way everybody who reads those verses sees them. 
It's a little bit like, um, Paul might remember this from when we were in Peru. I, uh, I talked about my concern about, in one of the devotionals, about the way the invitation is given in the evangelistic context. So often, I don't think this occurs so much in the Methodist world, there's a hellfire and brimstone sort of approach. Repent or burn. When you move over to for the more, somewhat more friendly perspective that you might well experience in a Methodist context, the question is, do you, if you die tonight, where will you be? Um, that's okay. I can live with if you die tonight, where are you going to be? But I like Jesus' invitation so much more. Jesus said, all of you who are weary and burdened down, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You don't, hear, you, don't, you don't actually hear this too often. When Jesus said, learn from me, he said, I am gentle and humble of heart. So he says, take my yoke upon me, uh, upon you, learn from me, I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Then when the woman was at the well, he says, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for living water. And I would have given it to you. You just ask for the living water. I give it to you. And whoever drinks that living water shall never thirst again. And the water that I give them shall be a well within them, springing forth to eternal life. And then, similarly, Jesus said, whoever serves me, follows me. I'm not sure how much I'm getting this across, but from my the God I know is a God of grace who extends to us an abounding, immeasurable amount of grace. But that God that extends to me and to you a huge amount of grace expects us to be his followers and to extend grace. This extend grace that goes beyond the grace that was in us, with us within us, to the, to the grace that He gives us. Um, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. Whoever serves me, the Father honors. Uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, even back there in the blessing and cursing section of Deuteronomy 28, it's followed in Deuteronomy 30. Uh, where, where God talks about them as if they fail to do all this stuff. Um, 
even if you're exiled to the ends of the world from where the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back, the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your ancestors possessed, and you will possess it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And, you know, this, this is just so much New Testament, and this is one of the things that I think most people are amazed when they work through the Old Testament and they work in the prophets, is just how much God's loving heart comes across despite all the circumstances and despite of the way things were back then, God's loving heart comes across even in the, in the, in the Old Testament. Moreover, if the Lord, this is Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, right, just following that stuff about blessing and cursing. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, in order that you may live. Um, and God's invitation, even to them, when he, he said, This day I set before you blessing and cursing. But what does he say? He says, I set before you blessing and cursing. I set before you life and death. He says, choose life. His desire for us is one of life. And what he offers to us is a way of life that becomes eternal. I've encountered a number of people, and I've read about even more, who seem to completely misunderstand grace. And, like I was saying, there's two sides to grace. There's the grace we receive and the grace that God expects us to live. Let's first of all talk about the grace we receive. There, there, I've met a number of people who are constantly worried about their salvation. They're constantly fretting if you will. <laughs> Somebody shout at me when it's time for me to shut up, because I can probably keep going. <laughs> um, they're constantly worried about God's grace being sort of temporal and passing or something. Um, I mean, they, they read scriptures like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Uh, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They read that, they might even, they might even read the next verse which says, indeed, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Uh, or, I think it actually says, in order that the world might be saved through him. Uh, they might read that, but they still have their doubts. They might read John 10, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And yet they worry about being snatched. Uh, what my Father has given me is greater than all else. No one can snatch it out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. So the love that Christ demonstrated and expressed in his life here on earth is a total reflection, a total image 
of what God is and the God that I know. Um, Philippians 1 6. Favorite, it's not my absolute favorite verse. I got in trouble with this in, in Peru, didn't I? I was, I was talking to them about my life verse, which is Philippians 2 5, and uh, the translator went, Life verse? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, a, a, a verse that's very important to me is Philippians 2.5, but close beyond it and tied to it is Philippians 1.6. 1, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how long, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. Here's Paul expressing his compassion, and it's not just his compassion, but the compassion of Christ Jesus. And then the one that I'll finish this section on is 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. No finger over a smite button. Not grasp grace. 
this is a father who lived grace. And the son, the older son, didn't really grasp it. He looked upon himself as working as a slave for his father. He said, I've worked as a slave for you all these years. And you haven't given me even so much as a, a, a young calf to have a party with. And yet we know, we know from the story that when the other son said, give me my, give me my inheritance, the father, despite, despite the fact that he knew that this wouldn't necessarily go quite well, gave it to him. Do we not think that if he had said, can I have a calf for a party, he wouldn't have gotten it? But no, his perspective on the father's love and his perspective on the father's grace was too small. He was working, looking upon himself as a slave in the family, rather than living the abundant life that his father would have had for him. So, our perspective, whether God is a blessing God or a cursing God, impact how we invite people into the, our, the Christian community, and it can impact uh, our feelings about our own security and our own relationship with God, and it can affect our daily walk. Um, in Matthew 25, verse 24, we read of the person who was given a talent. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you, that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not strawed. I know what you're like. I know that you're hard. And I was afraid and went and hid the talent in the earth, though here's what you gave me. Have it back. And the Lord answered them and said, You wicked and slothful servant, if that was your perspective on me, why didn't you uh, at least go put it in the bank? But the, the lesson in it for us is that if we look upon God as hard, if we look upon God as cursing, we are not going to live our lives in the abundant way that he invites us to live. We are not going to be abundant to others if we don't see God as being abundant to most of us. Um, one of, one of my concerns always in talking about talking to uh, classes like CUC is you know I'm I'm talking to some of the some of the fundamental Christians of the church uh, you know the stalwarts and so forth and it, it's uh, it's always tough but we do need to realize that no matter no matter where we are me you there's more to understand about the bigness of God so easy to make God smaller than he is and make him in our image <clears throat> and the more we're in his word the more we can really grasp that love that he a deep pursuing love that he has for us um, 
the conclusion, I will come to my my life verse, uh, uh, Philippians two five. I don't I think I don't think when I, when I taught the youth a week went by when I didn't use this verse. Um, the Philippians two five. I usually only quote the beginning part of it. Uh, I mean I quote all of two five, but there's there's a whole context to it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The invitation to, sh- to, to share in being what Christ and God are, to truly be His children. Um, cut the context. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. So as I said, there's there's two sides to this grace. Fully comprehending just how grace-filled and grace-full and grace-giving God is. And also the invitation, the invitation to be truly his children and living out a life of grace towards others. Uh, Philip Yancey quotes one of the articulate uh, guys that he, one of the most articulate guys that he met at uh, Folsom State Prison. He said, grace sets you free. And the reality is that both sides of grace it's that grace which is God and should be flowing through us. Grace sets you free. If you don't have grace, you're bound to respond. If somebody hurts you, you've got to hurt them back. That becomes a kind of slavery. You are bound with the law of the jungle, as it were, and grace breaks that law.